Good morning, everyone. And welcome to the first of our theme talks this morning. For those of you that don't already know, I am Gillian Peel, the minister at the Rochdale Unitarian Church. And my talk this morning will be about who are we and who do we say we are. But I'm going to start, as probably we will start most mornings, by lighting our chalice and using some opening words. And I light our chalice as a symbol of our faith. By its light, may our vision be illumined. By its warmth, may our fellowship be encouraged. And by its flame, may our yearnings for peace, justice, and the life of the Spirit be enkindled. Let's just take a few moments in silence together as we gather round our flame in preparation for what is to come this week. Cliff Reed, in his book Spirit of Time and Place, says why we are here. We are not here to judge, but to live as best we can, in peace and harmony with our neighbours, always aware of our own shortcomings. We are not here to condemn but to give such encouragement and assistance as we can to those we meet along the road. We are not here to lecture others on goodness, but to ask how well we match up to the best that we know, the vision in our souls, and then try harder. We are not here to claim a place with the elect, a place in heaven, but to live on this earth with love in our hearts and kindness in our deeds, just like everyone else. We are not here to speak for God, but to heed the divine voice in ourselves and to be the divine presence in this glorious, complex and suffering world. We are here to love our neighbour as we love ourselves, to be human to the best of our ability. Words by Cliff Ray.
I'm going to tell you a s- story now. <laughs> I might like to remind you all to turn off your mobile phones and things like that. You know, we shouldn't have to do that these days, should we? We should do it as a courtesy. <laughs> I'm going to begin by telling a story. I could begin this story once upon a time. But really, you know, this is a true story. And during the story, the young people are going to help me, but not quite yet. Okay. So, once upon a time, but really it was in the early 1800s. And the place was in a small Lancashire mill mill town. In this town, there lived two weavers, James Pollard and John Robinson. And they'd been out, because weavers actually were, were quite well-to-do in those days. They, they were sort of the, almost the bosses, you know. They, were, they weren't the poor workers. Weavers were special. And they went off, and they, they happened to hear a person speaking, a man called Joseph Cook, and he inspired them with his words. He talked about a faith where you did not have to be told what do you have to believe? He talked about a faith which was more to do with the person than to do with the person that you, they, people were worshipping. And James Pollard and, J, and John Robinson, they were really fired up by this man. And they began to follow the words of this preacher. It was very, very different to what was going on in this little mill town with its normal churches. And what they did was they got a group of people, I suppose we would call it a house group, and they would meet in their house, in their house and they would talk and they would discuss, and then in the end they built up their own services of worship as well. And gradually this group, it grew and it grew and it grew, So much so that they couldn't fit into that little house. You know, because they were only little houses in Padium. So they looked around at the churches in the town and they felt really, really jealous. All these people in their religions with these wonderful buildings that they could go to every Sunday. And they only had this little back room that was not big enough. So they thought, ah, we'll buy some land and build our own building. But first, they had to buy the land. Well, that wasn't as easy as they thought because the rest of the town heard that they were looking for land and they clubbed together and bought all the spare land that there was available. Even though they didn't need it. (laughs) A year later, though, this clever group that were perhaps named Cookites at this time. They decided that they would um, try and buy a little piece of land that had become available and they got a friend in a neighbouring town to buy it for them. Why? (laughs) So they had got a piece of land. That was wonderful. Well, you can imagine what the rest of the town thought. They were really miffed. 
In fact, they were just plain angry. This is where the young people are going to come and help me. <coughs> so James and John and their friends, yes, Lauren and Sarah, <laughs> who are James and John, <laughs> they started to build their building. And they were really happy. You know, they got this piece of land, and there they were. They were able to put this up, and they worked all day, and they toiled all day. And it was wonderful how this building was growing. And it was a real sense of achievement. And at the end of the day... Are we listening, girls? (laughs) At the end of the day, they went tired and happy to their own homes, thinking, hey, we've started. (laughs) But it wasn't that easy. That night, the angry townsfolk, they came along and... pleased with themselves imagine what happened the next day the next day (laughs) oh they've got to set to and do it all over again so they built not quite so happily this time but they built you know assured that they would, in the end, build a building for them to worship in. And they toiled, and they toiled. (laughs) Wonderful. And at the end of the day, they went off home happy that their building was growing. And that night, (laughs) the angry townsfolk came along. (laughs) And they knocked it all down again. how they felt and while I'm telling this bit I'm sure you two are going to come and build that up again for me aren't you (laughs) okay this scenario went on and on for days they would build during the day and the townsfolk would knock it down at night and it just seemed to go on forever now you've got to remember that these people were poor people They worked in the mills and um, they worked, the people who were doing the building were working for James and John. They weren't rich people by any means. But they had a conflab and they decided that there was only one thing for it. They would have to pool all their resources and they would have to go and hire somebody to come 
and look after the building during the night. It cost them a lot of money and great hardship, but that's what they did. They went off and they found someone to come and guard their building <laughs> overnight. <laughs> a new name for themselves and that was Unitarian and in 1823 the first Unitarian chapel in Padium was opened for worship thank you very much <laughs> we're going to sing now and while we're singing our hymn the young people are going to go off for their activities. So thank you very much for your, all your help. And we are going to sing hymn number 84, Justice for Persons and for Different Nations, Respect for the Diverse Species in Our Care.
this talk, I looked at the theme and thought, oh, goody! Because walking the talk was something that I could really get hold of as a subject. And then I got an email from Jane. <laughs> telling me what she wanted today's talk to be about. And I thought, oh, bother. <laughs> I won't be able to mention anything that I first thought of. But then, you know, when it came down to it, I found that really I could. I've called the talk today, Who Do We Say We Are? If we are indeed to consider the idea of walking our talk and living a life of greater integrity, then first we must understand who we are and what we say about ourselves and then consider where this coincides with our personal beliefs and the way in which we live our own lives. And to begin to understand who we are, I think we need to look at our history. Is history important? Well, the simple answer is, of course, yes. But the why and wherefore of that answer is not perhaps so easy. Maybe if I had grown up a Unitarian, it might not be as important for me but being a relative newcomer to Unitarianism, it's just over a decade since I first found it, I feel that I need to understand some of the history if I'm to be sure that what I believe truly belongs within the Unitarian path. In the Celestine Vision, James Redfield says... History, of course, is the larger context of our individual lives. An accurate understanding of history gives our awareness of the world depth and substance. It hovers around all that we see like a frame of meaning that tells us who we are and gives us a reference point for where we seem to be heading. It hovers around all that we see like a frame of meaning that tells us who we are and gives us a reference point for where we seem to be heading. It is, I believe, very important to have an understanding of how the Unitarian movement evolved and to know what drove those in the beginning. <coughs> it's not just enough for us to understand Unitarianism in theological terms, but to look at the people that have walked their talk before us. I'm interested in how they affected their communities and how our churches and chapels came into being and how this affects where we are today. Because of our history, we are a diverse set of people. 
No two chapels or churches are alike. Denominational roots go back to the Great Ejection of 1662, with the first avowedly Unitarian church being set up in 1774. Different churches and chapels developed out of different traditions, mainly out of the dissenting Christian traditions. But as we move forward in time, this has widened to include wider aspects of faith and belief. And now we have definitely moved on from and out of the confines of our Christian roots. Despite our diversity, though, we still come together as Unitarians. And quite often, what unites us is our commitment to social and ethical concerns. We just have to look at the changing nature of the range of motions that appear at our General Assembly meetings. Many of them, in the recent past, now tackle social and moral issues. And although there is often discussion, many of these motions are passed without much dissension. So what is it that gives us our identity? Well, maybe we could begin with our object. This was first adopted ten years ago, just as I was arriving in the Unitarian movement. And it appears in our leaflets, in our magazines, and you can see a little piece of it on the front page of the Enquirer. With its preamble, it states, We, the constituent congregations, affiliated societies and individual members, uniting in a spirit of mutual sympathy, cooperation, tolerance and respect, and recognising the worth and dignity of all people and their freedom to believe as their consciences dictate, and believing that truth is best served where the mind and conscience are free, acknowledge that the object of the assembly is to promote a free and inquiring religion through the worship of God and the celebration of life, the service of humanity and respect for all creation, and the upholding of the liberal Christian tradition. In America, somewhat earlier, the Unitarian Universalists, or the UUs as we refer to them, they adopted first six principles, which later became seven, as they added a final one. And these briefly are the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Justice, equity and compassion in human relations. Acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. 
a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. The rights of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. The goal of world community with peace, liberty and justice for all. Respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. and the UU principles allow for diversity within our religious beliefs and both in America and here in the UK we see a wide range of different theological views. Looking beyond our faith values, the object and principles embody within them far more though than just the spiritual aspects of our faith. The second clause of the object says that we promote the service of humanity and respect for all creation. And five of the seven UU principles consider social and moral principles. When looking for questions of identity, of identity my inclination, as I have said, is to look back to our history not with the rosy glow of nostalgia wishing to return to what was there in the past, but in an effort to understand what in underpins our beliefs and how this affects the way that we are. And how we, as a religious community, respond to the world today. And this was certainly the case when I found the Unitarian Chapel in Padium a dec decade ago. That was my first congregation. Like many of our congregations, Padium evolved out of a struggle, a fight to exist in the first place. Many churches in the Northwest, Padium included, grew out of the Methodist tradition and were established a little later than those with Presbyterian or Baptist roots. I've already given you an idea of the struggle that Padium underwent to get its first chapel built, but this did not prevent it becoming, like many northern churches, a mover and shaker in social concern. As the Padium congregation grew in number, a larger chapel was called for, and this was built largely due to the efforts of those same two weavers, um, and they established the building of a large Gothic-style building, which had many rooms attached. I don't know if you've ever seen any pictures of the um, church in Padium, but it looks like a parish church. It's got a great tall steeple, and it sits on the top of a hill, and, you know, everybody mistakes it for the um, parish church. But the rooms that they added, this allowed them to set up their Sunday schools, which brought the children in, and later day schools for the children of the mill workers. And these schools then went on to include the mill workers themselves, because they wanted to better themselves. 
And the weavers who had established it all were committed to improving the standards. And this commitment to education can be found in many churches throughout the country, but particularly those in the uh, Neelam district, the North East Lancashire Unitarian Mission. Today, Padium continues to be a church with a strong record when it comes to social concern. Within its members, there are those who are concerned with penal reform, gay rights, and interfaith and ecumenical dialogue. The church I serve now, Rochdale, also has an interesting history. Originally, there were two Unitarian churches in Rochdale. The earlier Blackwater Street, which came out of the Presbyterian tradition, served the more well-to-do people within the community. The later church was the church that was established by Joseph Cook. It was soon after he was ejected from the Methodists in 1806. And his chapel that he set up, it welcomed different groups of people, mainly the workers, those that worked in the mills, because this was a northern mill town as well. And it was quite distinct from Blackwater Street in both its ethos and probably its theology as well. In the early days... Joseph Cook preached to congregations of up to 2,000 people. Don't we wish? (laughs) But it was out of this chapel, the Clover Street Chapel, that nine of the original Rochdale pioneers came to set up the cooperative movement in 1844. Here's a picture of Toad Lane. You can come and have a look at it after. It was painted by a friend of mine, and it's beautiful. (laughs) Uh, It shows the original co-op shop. Okay. They produced what were known as the Rochdale Principles. And the seven rules or principles, you know, they still have a really radical ring to them. 167 years after they were first written down. They included guidance on equality, political neutrality and trading. The idea of a cooperative is that the business is owned by its customers and everyone works together for a common goal, that of good service over the pursuit of profit. I think we could learn a lot today from that, couldn't we? So the Rochdale principles were open membership, democratic control, dividend on purchase. I'm sure there are people here who remember the co-op divvy books. (laughs) Limited interest on capital, political and religious neutrality. Cash trading, no tick, no borrowing. Promotion of education, very important. 
The principles set down in 1844 were updated by the International Cooperative Alliance in 1966. And they still exist today. The Clover Street Chapel was known as the Co-op Chapel. But this was not the only evidence of cooperation in Rochdale because in 1890 the two distinctive congregations came together, overcoming their social and theological differences to form one Unitarian church with the chapel becoming a schoolroom for the Sunday school. Later, when the new town was built and the Blackwater Street had to be demolished, the town bought the old Clover Street site and gave it back to the Unitarians, and that is now the site of today's chapel, which contains the beautiful Burn Jones windows, which can be seen on um, Yvonne's website, I believe. <laughs> so have a look if you've not seen them. They are beautiful. Today, now, there is still evidence of a sense of cooperation within the Rochdale community. As a congregation, we support the multi-faith partnership, and I work with some of the poorer communities which are situated very near to our church building. My outfits were created by women in these groups, so, you know, it's wonderful. We welcome in our church people with many theological beliefs, embracing within our worship different aspects of faith, ranging from the Christian perspective through to a more atheistic view of the world. And I'm sure that if we look at most of our churches in the United Kingdom, we can see how the past has informed the way we as Unitarians are today in terms of how we put our faith into action. If we have come out of different beginnings to unite under our object and principles, that is to say that we say about what is it that we say about ourselves today? Looking at many current websites and newsletters and the GA leaflets and the posters and the badges that we got at uh, the GA this year. <clears throat> we say we are an open and inclusive religious body and that all are welcome in our churches. But we do not only define ourselves in religious or theological terms. Many churches and chapels have what could be called a mission statement. Something that speaks about the ethos of their individual communities. And these can be very different, just as our churches are different. And yet, there is something about them that is the same or similar. They speak about the tenets of our faith, which in the past were recognised through words such as freedom, reason and tolerance and brotherhood. They are the words that pertain to our faith, the freedom to believe as our heart dictates, but informed by reason, rather than following blindly 
what others may say. And underpinned by the tolerance that allow, gives us the freedom to allow others to have that same freedom without fear of condemnation. And we are called to act together in a sense of brotherhood, or as we would term it today, community. Today we still use the words freedom, reason and tolerance to describe the tenets of our faith, but our vocabulary has widened considerably. And we would now include such words as love, compassion, welcome and community. And we often talk about making a covenant together. So I want to give you now some of the statements, and this is only a few of the statements that I found that various churches say about themselves. And I'm going to pause after each one so that you can just reflect on what it is saying. Faith is not just about what you do on Sunday morning, but how you live your whole life. For centuries, Unitarians have worked for women's rights, for education, and against slavery. We believe in creating a society with peace, freedom, and justice for all. Today, our values of religious freedom and tolerance are needed more than ever. We work with interfaith organizations to work for peace and understanding in our community and world. We are always seeking ways of living more justly and peacefully in the world. This church exists as a meeting place for those who wish to explore their understanding of life and the world. But it is more than that. For it is striving to be a centre around which revolves a community founded upon love. Yes, we are trying to discover the deeper meaning of our lives. But we are doing that in the clear recognition that deeper understanding brings up the capacity for greater harmony with one's fellows. What we believe is not as important to us as what we love and how we live. We are a church that ask you, asks you to define your own spiritual values based on your experience of living in today's world and live your life accordingly. We should seek a spiritual and moral framework of love, peace, tolerance and justice in our lives.
Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve humankind in fellowship to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony with the divine. This do we covenant with each other and with God. Love is the spirit of this community. Acceptance is its sacrament and service is its prayer. This is our great purpose, to seek wholeness for all beings, to strive for justice and equality, and to join our hands in pursuit of unity and peace. Our church is a home for dreams and visions. It is a cradle to nurture and renew and, reni and enrich hopes. We offer a sanctuary for those who need rest, who seek comfort and blessing. Welcome to you, no matter who you are. Welcome to you, dreamers and visionaries. Welcome to all who see within life marvellous possibility. Welcome to you who live those possibilities and who have the gift to share with your companions the humble offering of life. Welcome. Unitarians are united by a common concern for the quality of life. We are people from all walks of life, united in mutual love and respect, forming a friendly, supportive community founded on the principles of freedom, reason and tolerance. I could go on. There are many, many more. You may recognise one of those that I've read from your own place of worship. Some I have only quoted in part. Some are used in more than one church. And any omission is not a criticism. I just could not include them all. Well, now, I'm sure you've all been sat for far too long. <laughs> it's quite a long time. So we're going to have a bit of a wriggle break. And during that, I'm going to ask you just to do something. So uh, when, when I sort of tell you to start, you maybe want to just stand up and stretch. But then I want you to spend just a couple of minutes talking with the person next to you or the person either side of you. And I want you to think about a few things. I want you to think, where does your... Sorry, what does your own church say about itself? Where has this come from? Does it come out of an historical context or is it one that's been agreed by the present community? 
Does it connect with the unitarian object or the, uniti or the UU principles? Could you say, does it lift it more <laughs> Yeah, I'll repeat them. <laughs> and do you think that it does what it says it does? For example, if it says, all are welcome here, then is that so? Do we welcome those who have different faith perspectives within our communities? Okay, so what does your own church say about itself? Where has it come from? Is it the history or the present? Does it connect with the objects or the principles? And do you think that it does what it says? Okay? So, uh, just a small break, just to chatter amongst yourselves and have a wriggle. <laughs> quite a useful exercise. Um, it will have helped you in considering just what it is that we say about ourselves. And all these words help us to recognise the values that underpin our faith. Whatever it is that we say about ourselves, though, the talk that we talk can only have value if we can adhere to it. Words alone are not enough. We have to embody these words and values into our communities. In talking about our Unitarian faith, Alfred Hall, author of Beliefs of a Unitarian, says, 
But above all, it must be known and understood that Unitarianism is not a system of creeds or beliefs. It is more than anything else an attitude of mind. It is a fresh way of looking at life and religion. It lays stress on the reliability of the human mind to judge for itself. Its method is that of appeal to reason, conscience and experience generally, and above all to elemental principles of truth and right which are implanted in the human heart at its noblest and embedded in the universe. Alfred Hall. One common theme that I discovered in my search to find our values is that we say we are a faith community that looks to deeds, not creeds. George Cressides in The Elements of Unitarianism says, Unitarians have been heavily involved in social and political matters, perhaps even more so than theological ones. Deeds, not creeds, was a slogan found on many Unitarian notice boards in Britain. More surprising, perhaps, is the fact that although Unitarianism encourages much diversity in its members' outlook, Unitarians have enjoyed a remarkable measure of agreement on social issues. And on the Unitarian website, in a personal A to Z of Unitarianism that was compiled by Matthew Smith, we find the words D is for deeds, not creeds. Beliefs should be judged by their consequences rather than by how far they conform to orthodox or trendy thinking. By their fruits ye shall know them, it says in Matthew chapter 7. A worthwhile faith gives you strength to accept your responsibility to further the common good. In the Bible, in the book of the letter of James, there is a piece that emphasises the idea of faith in action. James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of them says, says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. <clears throat> the deeds that we do may be done on a personal level, or they may be done as part of our faith community. One of the greatest values of being in the Unitarian faith, though, is that we are part of a community. 
Stephen Lingwood, Unitarian minister and editor of the book The Unitarian Life, puts it like this when he says, I am an individual in community. And it is only by respecting both poles of individuality and community that I can form a genuine, truth-seeking, life-giving faith. And that's worth repeating. I am an individual in community. And it is only by respecting both poles of individuality and community that I can form a genuine, truth-seeking, life-giving faith. Community is an important aspect of our faith. And Alistair McIntosh, the author of Soil and Soul, when asked, what do you mean by community, said, I am talking about the profound interaction we have with each other. The earth, and however we might understand the divine that underpins it. It's about relationship, about being interdependent. Intentional communities are where people set out to be a community. Communities of interest or communities of religion. It is an essential part of being a Unitarian that we are in community with each other. That we are not isolated or on our own in our spiritual journeys unless we choose to be so. Over the last year, I have been reading a book called The Hope, A Guide to Sacred Activism. It's by Andrew Harvey. And one of the main ideas in this book is that we live a life of faith, whatever that faith may be. If we live a life of faith, then we must, in some measure, put our faith into action. We must, in effect, live by the tenets of our faith. It has given me some hope that we can move on together, in spite of our differences, as we grow and continue to change. It gives me hope that in spite of our differences, we can work together to help to make a difference in the world today, just as our forebears made a difference to the communities of their day. And as we go forward this week in exploring this journey of walking and talking, then let us do it in a fuller understanding of where we come from, historically, 
and in the present and understand what talk it is that we, the individual, our church community and even our movement says about ourselves. May we be aware of those values that underpin this, our faith in action journey. For when these things happen, it is then that we can realise that everything is possible and we can live a life filled with greater integrity. I'm going to ask you to sing the hymn that we sang at the beginning of this talk. Hymn number 84. And as we sing it, I want you to take on board the words that you are singing.
through the week. May the spirit of life be with us all. The spirit of freedom, the spirit of justice, the spirit of faith. May that spirit live with us and through us as we walk and talk together throughout this week. Amen.